All right, let's open with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray now as we go to your word. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say. Lord, I pray that man would decrease, that your Spirit would increase, that you would be glorified. We thank you for the Bible, the living, breathing Word of God. I thank you for everyone who's here today, none by chance, all by divine appointment. I pray for anybody who's new today, that they would feel welcomed and loved. I pray for those that are watching on live stream from all over the country, that they too would feel a part of this fellowship. So be glorified this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, Hebrews. So if you have, we're going to take a few moments just to catch you up quickly. But remember the first 10 chapters, he was really focused on talking to the early church because many of the Jewish believers were being drawn back into the old covenant, being drawn back into Judaism. And the reason it was happening was Christians were being persecuted, some even being fed to lions and set on fire and, all, and things like that. So it was a heavy-duty commitment. And then they had family members who had, when the Messiah came, did not recognize Jesus as the Messiah, who were still in the temple. And so they were being drawn back to the temple, being drawn back to that, the old covenant that was God's plan until Jesus came. And then they were also had fear of persecution. So the first 10 chapters, it just talked about Jesus is better. He's better than the prophets. He's better than Moses. He's better than the, the high priest. He's better. Then we got to chapter 11, and we looked at God's hall of faith, or God's hall of fame, as I referred to it. And what's amazing about it is God gives this list of all these people used mildly by the Lord. But when you read through the list, one of the things that really strikes me is the fact that some of them were not always faithful. I think of Samson. Why is Samson in Hebrews chapter 11? If you've read, uh, if you've read through the Old Testament, Samson messed up a lot. But you know what encourages me? And I mentioned this before, that Samson is remembered for his one faithful moment. And God has forgotten about all his unfaithful ones. You know, the Bible says he separates our sin as far as the east is from the west. Isn't it good to know that God remembers the times we've been faithful? We can only be faithful because of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Amen? But he remembers it, and then he chooses to forget when we have failed after we ask him to forgive us. So then we got to chapter 12. We talked about so great a cloud of witnesses. We saw this uh, last uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. And then... And again, the cloud of witnesses, they're not watching over us or an example for us. Does that make sense? And then two weeks ago, we looked at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 11, and we talked about considering him. You know, just keeping your eyes on Jesus. Can I encourage you? That's always great advice. Amen? That's always great godly counsel. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Are there a few things going on in the world right now that could distract you? And if we get distracted, we're going to get discouraged. We might even get depressed. Hey, pray, pray for the Trenary family. I mentioned them on Thursday night. They've got a son that's in the military. Him and 12 other soldiers have, made a, have a personal conviction not to take the vaccine, and they're being told that they're going to be court-martialed, maybe imprisoned, and they may just hold them down and force them to take it. And I want to say this first and foremost. If you want to take the vaccine, do it. If you don't want to take it, that's between you and the Lord. Amen? If you want to wear a mask, God bless you, wear a mask. If you don't want to, that's between you and the Lord. Amen. We're not dividing over that nonsense. Can I get an amen to that? We're all Christians. We're not dividing over that, that. No, we're not doing that. We want to make sure our people are safe. The people that have concerns can stay home and watch on live stream. And if you want to come, please do. Amen. But pray for him. I, they had me write a, a letter for him on his behalf using scripture. 
And I was able to pull th- some things together. We'll see what God does. I also ran into, as I was up in Santa Cruz, I ran into a couple that let me know they never miss a Thursday, never miss a Sunday. They've been watching on live stream for years. And, they, and I'm in a restaurant, and I hear someone scream my name, and I thought I was in trouble. <laughs> that was the, you know, am I in trouble? What did I do? Dave Johnson! I'm like, what did I do? But it was very sweet. It was very sweet. I was able to meet all of their family. So God bless you, Madeline and Tom. It was good to see you in person. You're a part of our church too. Amen? Amen. So praise God for that. All right. So we looked at considering him. Keep your eyes on Jesus so we don't get weary and discouraged. Lest we allow the trials to consume us. Lest we despise his correction. And now this morning, he's really, he's been exhorting them all the way through. But this morning, the apostle Paul is really going to start exhorting them. He's going to say, look, I've talked to you about Jesus is better. I've given you an example of the people in God's hall of fame. I've told you to consider Jesus. Now it's time to take some action. Guys, it's one thing to say we believe, and it's another thing to behave. It's one thing to, to know what the word of God says, and it's another thing to live it out every day. And so if you grab your outline, I tell the message, it's time to take a stand. And here were the things they had to stand on. They had a couple of choices. They could go in one of two directions. Number one, to walk in a spirit and walk in spirit-filled holiness or flesh-driven bitterness. Bitterness, there's few things sadder than, and more destructive to the church than a born-again Christian who's walking in bitterness. Guys, we have nothing to be bitter about. Amen. We should be rejoicing daily for who we are in Christ. And so we're going to see that he told them to get back in the race, to not give up, to pursue peace with all people, to walk in holiness, to be careful not to fall for temptation, to abandon the gospel of grace. And then bitterness pollutes and corrupts, but brokenness bears fruit. We don't want to trade away God's blessing for worldly satisfaction. We'll see that in the text. Then we see the second thing to take a stand is the law of Mount Sinai or the grace of Mount Zion. Praise God for Mount Sinai where the law was given. But we all understand the law cannot save you. Amen? The law reveals that we are sinners in need of a Savior. They are wonderful guidelines to living a holy life. But it is not the source of our salvation. It actually is the thing that shows us that we've been separated from God because we all fall short. So the law is a taskmaster or a schoolmaster that leads us to the cross, it says in the word. And so the law is a blessing. It's a gift from God. It reveals that we're sinners in need of our Savior, but the law cannot save us. So Mount Sinai revealed the problem. Mount Sinai, they heard the voice of God speak, but Mount Sinai made them all recognize that they needed to be redeemed, that they needed to be forgiven, that they were all sinners in need of a Savior. Well, Mount Zion, we'll see that referred to in this morning's text. Mount Zion is where, is where Jerusalem is. It's where Jesus would be crucified. So we don't want to hold on to the, the law. Keep in mind, they were being drawn back to the old covenant and to the law. You know what I mean? I meet uh, Jewish people who I love, which is a Jewish book about a Jewish Savior. Amen. And they'll say they have 652 laws they must keep. And I always ask them, how's that working out for you? How are you doing on that program? Because the reality is we can't do it. And so the law is a taskmaster. It leads us to the cross. And praise God, we don't, we're thankful for the law. The law can't save you. It's God's grace. It's his death on the cross of Calvary on Mount Zion. Amen. 
And by, by his grace and his grace alone, we can be saved. Let's not hang on to the law. Let's hang on to his grace. Let's live holy lives, but hang on to his grace. And then finally, upon the rock of Jesus Christ or under his divine judgment. A service I did yesterday, there were a lot of people there who were not saved. And I was told by my former assistant, uh, the last time I talked to him before he went to heaven, he said, Pastor Dave, don't be shy. You know, bring the gospel. And it breaks your heart, because I told the story of Lazarus, shared the about Lazarus and the rich man. And, you know, the rich man thought he had a wonderful life. And he was well-known and he was popular and he had money and had everything the world had to offer. And then he closed his eyes on earth and he opened them up in torment. And he spent eternity, in, 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 he's weeping and gnashing of teeth and he pled to have Lazarus, you know, come and dip water and put it on his tongue and then said, can you go tell my family? I don't want him coming here. Guys, eternity is real. We're going to be dead a lot longer than we're alive. And where we spend eternity is the most important thing we, we come to in this life. Amen? This is a vapor of time compared to eternity. We need to make sure that we, again, are surrendered to the Lord. We either stand upon the rock or we are going to face eternal judgment. Now that you've heard that, you, uh, you can escape out the back. <laughs> this is far from a you know, seven steps to financial freedom message or how to, how to have sunshine blowing your way Sunday. Amen? So let's begin there looking at it's time to take a stand to walk in spirit-filled holiness or flesh-driven bitterness. He says, therefore... So in light of everything he's just said, in light of the exhortations to consider the Lord, to keep your eyes on him, in light of the fact that there's such a great cloud of witnesses, such great examples for us to follow, in light of the fact that Jesus is better, in light of all of that, look what he says, strengthen the hands which hang down and feeble knees. What does that mean? These are marks of exhaustion and discouragement. You have people that in their walk with the Lord and living in the world we live in today, and maybe this describes you right now, you're just exhausted. You're discouraged. You're overwhelmed. You look at the world today. Uh, you, know, you know what helps for discouragement and depression? Turn off social media. Take a, take a, a, a fast from television for a while. Because, you know, we, we, again, we need to be educated and all those kinds of things, but again, we recognize that when we look at the world, we, we're depressed. When we look at Jesus, right, we're strengthened. So keep your eyes on the Lord. But he's encouraging them because, see, some of those who are going back, they were just exhausted. They were, they were tired of being persecuted. They, they were struggling with the fact that their families were drawing them back into the old covenant. And they just were kind of tired of it. And they were giving up. And he says here, to strengthen the hands which hang down. Like a coach or a military officer, uh, I believe it's the Apostle Paul here writing this, tells these discouraged and spiritually weak and wavering troops, he's basically saying, time to get with it. Time to man up. Time to take a step up. Time to quit walking in fear and start living by faith. It's time for you to, to, to quit grow weary and trying to do it your own way and just enter into his rest. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. See, if we're walking in the center of his will, we will have moments of discouragement, but he is always with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He will strengthen us in those times when we grow weary. He had given an exhaustive list of reasons to be strong in the Lord and to put off the discouragement, and now he's saying, guys, it's time to do it. 
to do more than mouth words that Jesus is better, but to live like it, to not succumb to doubt, to not waver in the midst of difficulty, but to boldly move forward in faith, to not turn away from Jesus, but to run to him, to not grow weary, but to stand strong. I know it's easier said than done, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. The world around us is depressed. The world around us is discouraged. They ought to see something different in us because we are different. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And because of that, we should be reflecting Jesus in such a way that they want to, well, how come everyone else is discouraged but you? Why is everybody else overwhelmed but you? I've shared with you the, my Muslim boss in, in uh, San Jose that I prayed for for 15 years, and then she got saved, and we baptized her down here, and I just talked to her this week. And I'll never remember one of the things that God used to get her attention was we were having potential layoffs at our company. And she said, I realized that everybody here was panicking except for the people that go to the Bible study. And she said, and said, how come all you, no, you guys aren't panicking. Everybody else is panicking, and you're not panicking. Well, he's Jehovah Jireh, Lord God, our provider. God's on the throne. He's in control. If I lose this job, God will get me another one. God's faithful. God's not giving us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Amen? Amen? And so we have the opportunity to be an example, to walk by faith and not by fear. And we can't do it on our own strength. We all recognize that we're weak apart from him. We need his help. We need his strength. And he's encouraging them to strengthen the hands which hang down. Go, come alongside those who are discouraged. Come alongside those who are feeble, those who are, are just feeling overwhelmed. You know, that's why we gather together. We gather together to minister one to another. Amen? Verse 13. And make straight paths for your feet so that, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. He's saying, don't give up, get back up, get back in the race, run with the same effort as when you began the race, the Lord will make you well. You know, I know not, not a lot of people are real thrilled about the Olympics. I love the Olympics. I tape, literally taped all of the Olympics, all the channels, and I go back and watch it. And it was actually kind of incredible. I was at the memorial service yesterday, and a guy introduced himself, and he's a coach. He was uh, Joe's best man. They've been friends since kindergarten. I said, what do you coach? He said, well, I coach the women's uh, Olympic water polo team. I go, you guys just won the gold medal. He goes, yeah, we did. And I go, I go, I never watched women's water polo, but I watched that. <laughs> it's in the Olympics. But the point is, I watched the marathons too. And it was crazy to me. You could tell someone was about to be done because you would see, you, would just, you could just see in their posture. You could see they were running in like 105 degree heat. The concrete was so hot, it was burning through their shoes and people were dropping out left and right. And you'd see people running and you knew that one's not long for the road because look at their, they're just, they're going to give up. And you know what? The same thing can happen to us in our walk if we're not careful. Amen. We get to the point where we're just overwhelmed and we need people to come alongside us and say, God's still in control, right? You're going to heaven, right? God's still faithful, right? He'll provide, right? Amen. And the worst thing the world can do to us is the best thing that could happen to us because you can't threaten us with heaven. And so the exhortation here is, amen. That's someone who's new and never heard that. I've only said it 200 times. <laughs> I'm going to quote that. <laughs> Feel free. Can't threaten me with heaven. Make your path straight and trust the Lord, right? He will strengthen you and heal you to continue on. Verse 14. Now, this is not always easy. Pursue peace with all people. Can I encourage you? We need to stop winning battles and start winning people. 
Stop winning arguments and start winning people. Stop fighting over things that aren't essential for heaven, things that have nothing to do with salvation. Stop trying to, you know, put someone in a corner about something that's just not that important compared to someone's eternity. Amen? We can win arguments and lose people. We don't want to do that. And he says, have peace with all people. So you have peace with people that have different political views than you. Peace with people that have different views on on the pandemic than you do. People that have different lifestyles than we do. Now, I'm not saying that we condone something that's ungodly, but we want to love people because we shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. Wouldn't that be us without the Lord? So when we see somebody who doesn't know the Lord and they're acting like it, we just need to love them. Because are we going to reach them by you know, screaming at them, holding up signs, you know, mocking? That's not how we're going to reach people. They shall know us by the love we have one for another. And we need to have peace with all people. Now again, we don't water down the message so that people won't be offended. If you're offended by the Word of God, you need to be offended. If the word of God steps on your toes, your feet are in the wrong place. Amen? At the same time, we need to love people. Love them unconditionally. And let them know we share the word of God with them because we love them, not because we're self-righteous and arrogant. Amen? So he's saying to have peace with all people. And holiness. Holiness. One of the ways we have peace with all people and walk in holiness is we need, especially within the church... We need to quit arguing about non-essentials. And I had a few people at the, the service yesterday that went to our church for years and left because of a disagreement about something. And we need to learn, look, if we have the essentials in common, we're family. We can disagree on what name you baptize in. We can disagree on you know, what kind of worship you have. We can disagree on your view of the end times. We can disagree on a lot of things like that. And again, we should know what we believe and why we believe it, but let's not divide over that. But then he says to live a holy life. So we are to be peaceable with all people and at the same time, be holy for I am holy. Jesus saved us. He redeemed us. He's forgiven us. But he also has the Holy Spirit living inside of us that equips us to walk in holiness before him. Again, to, I love the word, you know, for holiness, these, these, without holiness, people won't see Jesus in us. Without holiness, we're just like the rest of the world. And I will tell you, this happens, and it happened again this week, if a pastor falls, somebody calls me and lets me know one of your buddies just did this. Well, I don't even know him. We happen to be pastors. You know, they just grump, lump you all together, amen? All you pastors are the same, you know, we're not. We're all sinners saved by grace. That part, we're the same, amen? But we need to walk in holiness. We need to be a Christ-like example, but never be self-righteous. We're just one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. But it's not okay. As Christians, we shouldn't just give in to having active sin in our life and just act like it's no big deal. Guys, we need to love God and hate sin. And when we sin, we should be grieved by it. And it should drive us to our knees to ask God to forgive us. So be peaceable with all people and live a, a life of holiness. You know, the, these Jewish believers were being persecuted by the world. They've been kicked out of the temple. Their families have abandoned them. They may have felt they had been silenced. They had no voice to touch the lost. But guys, when, when 
People think you've been silenced. No, you haven't. Live a holy life. Walk in obedience to the Lord, even if they had been silenced from speaking, again, by the world's persecution, by religious leaders' expulsion. You can't silence a changed life. You know the greatest thing you can do, you can share with people? Again, if, even if you don't feel like you know the Bible well enough, you can all share your testimony. Here's who I was, and then I met Jesus, and here's who I am now. And nobody can dispute that. Amen? And I would encourage you, if you've never done it, write your testimony down. Write your testimony down in a way that could be shared in two minutes. If you got in an elevator with somebody, you could share it. And I want to encourage you because that's the thing that nobody can dispute. You know, the greatest miracle of all is taking dead people who are dead in their trespasses and sins and making them into new creations in Christ. So that means every one of you that's born again, you're a walking miracle because it's the miraculous work of God and he alone should be glorified and we must not keep it to ourselves. Don't be arrogant. Don't be self-righteous. Love people unconditionally. Live a holy life. And again, don't keep your faith to yourself. Their holy and set-apart example spoke loudly that the saving grace of Jesus Christ and the empowering of the Holy Spirit had done more to transform their lives in a few months than all the religious traditions could do in 40 years. We'll have people go on a radio station or wherever, and they'll say, well, I've been going to XYZ, very religious church, and I learned more in listening to one message than I've learned in 40 years. Because guys, it's not, religion doesn't save us. The word religion, you know this, relingara, it means to relink. So I love that. I love the meaning, but I, I hate what it's come to me. It's come to me in all these rituals I must keep in hopes that somehow I will earn favor with God and maybe on judgment day, I'll squeak into heaven. And that's what religion might teach us. But guys, it's not about religion. It's about a relationship. And it's sad that because they're being drawn back to religion. They're being drawn back to something that wouldn't save them. They're dream, being drawn back to the old covenant, to slaughtering lambs and goats, which was God's plan until Jesus came. But the blood of bulls and goats cannot redeem us. Only the blood of Jesus Christ can. So guys, let's not be drawn back to religion, but let's step deeper into our relationship with the Lord. And that's the exhortation that he is making here then he says there in verse 15, look carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. Be careful to not fall for the temptation to abandon the gospel of grace for a works-based religion. I have a very close friend, and he know, I tell him I'm going to share stuff about you all the time, bro, and I just do it anyway. But I have a very close friend who was a Calvary Chapel pastor, assistant pastor. He was a worship, uh, youth pastor for years. And now he's gone back to his childhood religion that is just so chock full of rituals. And it is tragic to me because now he's sending, you got to pray this prayer seven times. No, I don't. You know, you got to keep these, you got to do this, you got to do this. And he's got tattoos of all the saints and Mary on him and things like that. Guys, the saints don't save us, Jesus does. We don't pray to the saints, we pray to Jesus, we pray to the Father in the, in the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can be drawn back to something that we grew up with, that, we, that it just feels comfortable. And sadly, that was happening in this first century church. 
as these Jewish believers were being drawn back to, they'd hear the shofar blow. They would see all the people traveling in. They'd see the priests wearing their vestiture. They'd see them and they would, oh, but that's what I grew up with. I want to go back to that. But why would you go back to that when you have a relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? Why would you run back to an organization, the old covenant God had created that has now been made obsolete? That's what it says in the Bible. It's been made obsolete. It's been replaced by what Jesus has done for us. Leaving the free gift given by the shedding of our Savior's blood to instead seek to find favor through our own good works. I have a guy that has called me four times. I think he called Joshua too. I think, I don't know who else has talked to him. He calls me like every other day, uses a different name, says he wants to talk to a pastor, and he starts arguing with me about why I should become a Jehovah's Witness. And he does it every other day. And I was in Hawaii, he called me two days in a row. And he used a different name each time. And I picked up the phone, I go, bro, I'm a born-again Christian. I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm not going to deny him. Let's stop wasting my time. If you want to have a real good discussion, if you're serious about becoming a Christian, we could talk. But if you want to just try to give me... And by the way, you guys predicted the end of the world, 1912, 1914, 1915, 1918, 1945, and 1972. None of it happened. You're a false prophet, so stop calling me. And then we love you, but stop calling me. I don't want to talk about this. But the point, again, is that he wants to be one of the 144,000 that Jehovah's Witnesses believe that they're going to inherit the earth. Bro, you can have it, but they want to inherit the, <laughs> that they're going to inherit the earth, and they, they believe 144,000 will inherit the earth. And, and I said, well, if you read in the Bible, those are 12,000, each of the 12 tribes of Israel, and they're all virgins, and you're married, so you're out, bro. <laughs> you can't be. So we don't want to get caught up in trying to be good enough. That's exhausting. Amen. And just trying every, and every day, you know, just and being in that constant burden. But we can have the grace of God and know that we've been forgiven. And he sees us through the shed blood of his son. And he sees us as holy and set apart. Notice he says they're looking carefully. It means to look diligently, to oversee, to inspect, to beware. You know, as, we're, as Christians, we need to be conscientious of where we're going and what we're doing and who we're spending time with. Amen? We want to be salt and light, but we also need to be careful of the situations we put ourselves in. Then he says, lest you fall, lest you fall short. Notice any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. We don't want to fall short, to fail, to be left behind in the race. Lest any root of bitterness, you know, few things, again, as are polluting to the body of Christ as, a great, as great as a source of stumbling, as a root of bitterness in the heart of a Christian, one feeling slighted or mistreated or even persecuted, who's, who allows their circumstances to produce bitterness in their hearts, and it begins soon pouring out of their mouths. The Bible tells us how the overflowing of a man's heart his mouth speaks. So if you want to see what's in someone's heart, just listen to their speech, especially listen to it over time. Listen to it when things are difficult, and you'll find out what's in their heart. And it's so tragic, he's encouraging them, because this bitterness is, a, is the opposite of faith in a lot of ways. Because guys, are we born again? What's the answer? Are we going to heaven? Do we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us? Has he made promises to us? Can we trust him? Is he a faithful God? Stop being bitter. Amen. What do we have to be bitter about? Stop going to heaven. 
We are citizens of heaven. We're the richest people on the planet because we know the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? The youth group kids used to say, my homie got my back, man. My homie has created your homies. Can I get an amen? <laughs> he created all things. We have nothing to be bitter about. Oh, there's a, I think there's an election coming up in a few weeks. Don't be bitter. If it doesn't turn out the way you want it to, is God still in control? Trust him. Keep your eyes on him. See, it was affecting and infecting the body of Christ. Early Christians paying a dear price to walk with God can run to God and seek his comfort and protection or murmur about God and question the depths of his love and his grace and his mercy. One of the guys who spoke at the memorial, they had people, invited people up, and one guy just said, I just want to ask God, why? 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 And I get that, unless you know that Joe's a Christian and heaven is better. Amen. Amen. I was telling people, well, if Joe could come back, he's not coming. Amen? And God can raise people from the dead. He's done it. If I die, don't pray for that. I'm good. Amen? You can pray this at my memorial service. Don't pray for me. I'm in heaven. I'm hanging out with Jesus. See you soon. Amen? And that, that should be our encouragement to know that God is faithful and we can trust him. Instead of being a reflection of murmuring and, and complaining, you know, murmur, complain, walk around like you've been sucking on a lemon and invite somebody to church and see if they want to come. Oh, so I can be bitter like you. I can't wait. When's your next service? Let me hang out with you guys so I can walk around moaning and complaining through the office. Guys, when we give our life to the Lord, we become living sacrifices unto him. Our lives are him to do with as he pleases, which means if God chooses to use you in a way that is not a way that you want to go, we trust him anyway. Guys, we gave our lives to him. So if God wants to give me cancer so he might be glorified, then I'm going to praise him anyway. Shall we praise him in times of blessing and not in times of adversity? Here's the exhortation. They're going through a difficult time. I'm not downplaying the difficult time. It's difficult. I get it. I'm not saying it's easy. But in the midst of that, we should be different because we have an eternal perspective. Because we know the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Again, you've heard me say it a hundred times. One more won't hurt. Show me somebody in the Bible used mightily. I'll show you somebody who suffered greatly. It's a fact. No one's ever been able to show me one person used mightily that didn't suffer greatly. So we say, Lord, use me mightily. See, what does that mean? Get ready for some suffering. But in the midst of suffering, I'd rather, it's better to be in the fire with Jesus than out of the fire without him. As Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had to be called out. Amen. It's better to be in the fire with Jesus than out of the fire without him. Bitterness in the midst of these difficult circumstances, be it outward persecution or inward trials, be it bitterness toward an individual whose actions uh, were, we've refused to forgive. I had a few people, I know it's hard for you to imagine this, there's, there's people who don't like me, okay? When I did my dad's funeral, I said, never met anybody who didn't like my dad. I know a lot of people don't like me. But here's the reality. There's a few people at the memorial service, one of them, if, if he could have like cut, took my head off. I think he would have. I, I went up and go, hey, bro, how you doing? I went to shake his hand. Okay, God bless you, bro. You know what I mean? But here's the reality. We just need to love him anyway. You don't overcome evil with evil, you overcome evil with good. A soft answer turns away wrath. 
And I, it doesn't really matter. Again, if, if I've done something wrong to harm the cause of Christ, heaven forbid. But they don't like us. It's not really about us. It's about him. So give him all the praise and the glory. For us to be fruitful again, to once again experience his grace and mercy in our lives, bitterness must be replaced with brokenness. Bitterness must be replaced with brokenness. Brokenness is where you come to a place where you recognize without him you can do nothing. Where you come to a place where you recognize I can't fix it. I can't change it. I can't do it without God's help. Do you know that's a great place to be? Because it drives you to your knees and you're crying out to him. You don't put your faith in your bank account or in your abilities or in your resources. You put your, have to put your faith in the Lord. You know, well, you know what comes for all of us? If you've, ever had, if you've ever had a prodigal son or daughter, you can't fix it. You have to trust God. Amen? See, we have to learn to get away from being bitter and to be broken instead. See, bitterness, what does bitterness produce? It pollutes and corrupts, but brokenness bears fruit. When we're broken, we become usable. It's been said the only thing that becomes more valuable when broken is a man or a woman. Anything else breaks, we sell it at swap meat for a quarter. Amen? But if we break, we become more usable for the kingdom of God. You know, we're like, we're like the alabaster flask of oil that's the, that Mary poured out on Jesus. And it had to be broken before it could be poured out. And when we're broken, we become a sweet-smelling aroma. We're a reflection of the Lord. When we're broken, when we're walking around in our own strength, doing our own will, we become something that can pollute others. We need to reflect in awe and wonder of the Lord, no longer bitter but broken, reflecting in a heart of total submission, no longer questioning God based on outward circumstances, but fully trusting God based on our inward transformation. Just be reminded, I say it a hundred times, God is in control. God is in control. Boy, there's peace in the sovereignty of God, isn't there? Isn't it good to know that no matter what... Now look, we should vote, we should work hard, we should be proactive, we should share our faith. Because God's in control doesn't mean we go sit in a cave and hide till he gets back. We should be busy about his work. But at the same time, when things don't go the way we want, we need to trust that God is sovereign and he knows what he's doing. Amen? And people have free will. Now watch this. It's going to give us an example of what can happen. So springing up, causing trouble that may become defiled. Lest any of you, unless there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for a morsel of bread, of food, sold his birthright. Esau is an example of one who becomes bitter with God. Esau in the Bible is a type or picture of the flesh. One who is so focused on his immediate desires that in hunger he traded his birthright for a bowl of soup. His birthright, let me tell you what that is. As the oldest son, you got a double portion. So you, you inherited twice as much as all the other siblings. You were given a double portion. You were also put into a position of authority. He gave away the blessing that was coming from his father. He gave away the position and the blessing he was going to have for a bowl of soup. And when we read this, we think that is so stupid, because it is. But that being said, we do things like that often, where we give into our fleshly desire for the immediate and the momentary satisfaction, knowing that it's impacting our walk with the Lord. It may be impacting our, our testimony to the world. And we'll allow a momentary, and by the way, doesn't Satan lie to you when you're being tempted? Go ahead and do it. He already forgave you. It's okay. Anybody ever heard that in there besides me? Go ahead. You can do it. It's okay. Uh, we need to love God and hate sin. Amen? 
We need to be exhorted to that. And Esau asked his twin brother Jacob for a bowl of stew. And Jacob, seeing his hunger, asked for his birthright. And Esau's response, what do I need a birthright for? I might starve to death. Give me the soup. And that's what he did. He gave in to the temporary and missed out on that, which was going to, uh, you know, was more significant in the long run. Give me soup. You can have the birthright. An incredibly foolish trade and the one that would regret. Now, again, birthright came both as a blessing, with a blessing and a responsibility, double the inheritance, but also the position of spiritual headship over the family. And you know what? You don't want anybody to be spiritually leading a family if he will trade his birthright for a bowl of soup. That's not the guy you want leading the way, amen? You want a man who understands. The word fornicator there, it's actually pornos, where we get the word pornography. One who prostitutes his body for hire. One who indulges in unlawful sexual relationships. The word profane there means common, unholy, ungodly. The context, one who by word or deed treats religion with contempt, has no reverence for that which is sacred. Esau's fleshly desire caused him to trade away both God's blessing and his spiritual position for temporary satisfaction. That's where we live in today. You know what the number one cause of death is for people under the age of 40? Anybody know? Drug overdose. It's not cancer. It's not car accidents. It, is a, it, is, it makes this pandemic look like nothing. It is an epidemic that is virtually every family is hit, hit by it somehow. You have a cousin, an uncle, a nephew, a friend, somebody. It's impacted my family and most families here. And you know what it is? It's tragic, but the enemy uses the desire to feed my flesh right now with no thought of what the consequences may be, and often it's death. My son Mark's best friend that he'd gotten to know really well, who had played quarterback for Old Miss, he was 23 years old. My son got to know him. He went down and visited him in Huntington Beach for six hours. He was living in a sober living. And then my, we went to Hawaii. My son's texting him, and he stops texting. My son goes to his Facebook page, rest in peace. He had overdosed and died. My son comes to the, he's just weeping uncontrollably. My friend died. Guys, Satan seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. You know how he does it? He gets you to think that feeding your flesh is more important than obeying God. Amen? And by the way, your flesh will never be satisfied. Because it doesn't matter how many times you cross that line, it's not going to be enough. You're going to need more of it. They asked Rockefeller, how much money did you need uh, you know, to be satisfied? He said, a little bit more. It wasn't 1 million, 10 million, 50 million, or 100 million. It's a little bit more. And no matter what that thing is that entices you, it's so... And I know you're all hot in here, by the way. Did you see the tent on the way in? It's got 300 seats in it over there. It's much cooler in there. As soon as we get Wi-Fi over there, a stage over there, and TV screens so we can display uh, the worship, we'll be over there, and you won't have to be using your fans anymore. Can I get an amen? That's the temporary fix until the gym is built. So it'll be good. Then he says there, verse 17, For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit blessings, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Esau is a picture of the flesh, and it's so typical of the flesh. We want to feed our fleshly desires. We directly disobey the clear commands of God's word. We reject God's word uh, and God's words of love and protection. And then we want God to still give us what we want anyway. See, we want to feed our flesh as much as we want, and then we're mad at God when there's consequences. The Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. So we've, you've heard me say it, the word of God and the law is not a fence to keep you out of Disneyland. It is a guardrail to keep you from driving off a cliff. 
See, God gives us his word not to keep us from fun, but to keep us from harm. But then we disregard God's word. We drive you know, over the top of the cliff and drive right through the guardrail, and then we get mad at God when we crashed. See, he loves you, and we need to learn to trust him and spend time in his word and be obedient to it. After rejecting God's call to holiness and obedience, having fulfilled this fleshly desire, Esau sought only the blessing and cared nothing again for the birthright. We want God to give us the blessings of obedience and faith when we rejected them in fleshly faithlessness and disobedience. I want to go live a disobedient, unfaithful, ungodly life. I want to reject everything God's told me. I want to walk in my way. I want to fulfill my fleshly desires. And then I want God to bless me at the same time. Guys, choose today whom you will serve. Amen? May God the priority, may God the passion of your life. He's a wonderful God. He's a gracious God. He knows what's best for you. He's the perfect heavenly father. It says he found no place for repentance. While he regretted his foolish choice, he still didn't repent. He still didn't get on his knees and cry out to God and ask for forgiveness. Here's the good news. If you've been walking in your flesh, if you've been disregarding what the word of God says, if you've been living a life so contrary, it's not too late to repent and get right with God. You can take 100 steps away from God, it's only one step back. He desires to have intimate fellowship with you, but we can't live a life contrary to his word. Shake our fists at God, live, live a life that feeds our flesh, and then expect God to bless us without repentance. Amen? And that's what he's, that's what he's exhorting here to those first century Jewish believers who are being tempted to go back to the old way. Again, not repentance. It's not repentance, but the blessing he was seeking. He wasn't looking to be right with God. He was just looking to get things from God. By the way, he's not the holy Santa Claus up in the sky. He's not the genie who gives you wishes. He's the king of kings and lord of lords, and you submit your life to him. Amen? We don't come to God so he'll give us stuff. We come to God because he gave us everything. Amen? He's a faithful God, a loving God, a merciful God. Sin has consequences. Ask Esau. He never, got his, he never got his birthright back. It never happened. And again, these early Jews like Esau were being tempted by their flesh to walk away from Jesus, to trade their eternal for the immediate. They needed a change of heart and mind. They needed to repent, to passionately and wholeheartedly pursue the Lord once again, to reject the temporal fleshly temptation, to follow the Lord with their whole hearts, to let go of the temporary, to pursue the eternal, a word we all need to hear, and some of us need to respond to it this morning. If you're satisfying the temporary and forsaking the eternal, it's time to repent. Point number two, we may not finish up. Don't panic. Verse 18, you pay to go to a sauna, this is free. <laughs> Point number two, the law of Mount Sinai and the grace of Mount Zion. Just take a look here. The law reveals sin. It's not a source of salvation. Look at verse 18. For you have not come to the mountain that may be touched and that burned with fire and to blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet, the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. Now, this is Mount Sinai. The law was given there. The mountain was visible. They had just crossed the Red Sea. They'd been delivered out of bondage in Egypt. They'd seen the Red Sea part. You know, they first murmured, you brought us out here to die after 430 years in bondage. And then Moses holds up the staff, they cross over uh, the Red Sea, and all of Pharaoh's people did the dead man float. Amen? 
And so they got on the other side. Pharaoh, Pharaoh, if you went to Sunday school, you know the song I'm talking about. But now they're on the other side. They're headed to the land of promise. By the way, it's only an 11-day journey if it's walk straight and if you enter in when God tells you to. They come to Mount Sinai, and keep in mind, at this point, there's no written word. Moses hasn't, so they need the law. They need the word of God. And so what does Moses do? He goes up on the mountain. He's hanging out with God. And he comes back down the mountain, and what are they doing? What are they doing? They're worshiping a golden calf, dancing around a drunken orgy. How's that working out? We just delivered you out of bondage. I've gone 40 days. Really? But then God spoke from the mountain, and they heard him speak. And the presence of God scared them to death, to the point where they told Moses, dude, don't let him talk anymore. You just go talk to him and come tell us what he says, because when he talks, it's scary. Guys, we need to have some reverence for the voice of God, amen? Amen. Not curse his name, mock his name, uh, treat him as less than who he is. Yeah, we need to magnify his name and glorify his name and have awe and reverence for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? Amen. Honor the name of Jesus. Magnify his name. Lift him up. Can you imagine what God's voice must have sounded like? It was not Pee Wee Hermit. Amen? It was not some wimpy... I just, you know, it had to be deep. Come on, man. Really? There's just no other way. It had to just be, you know, a powerful, powerful, powerful voice. And it was so powerful that the earth shook and the people's heart shook. And they were in, in fear of God. And by, by the way, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It's a good thing, amen? To have reverence for him. The biggest problem we have in the world today is there's a lack of godly fear. They could see the mountain, but they weren't allowed to touch it. It was there, but they couldn't touch it. Only, only Moses was allowed to go up the mountain. And after... God spoke from the mountain. The mountain was fenced off. There was no trespassing. They would die if they came. The darkness, the gloom, the blowing storm of a tempest, and from this fiery, dark, gloomy, and windy blown tempest came the sound of a trumpet calling the nation to meet God. They all gathered together, and God spoke, and they were scared out to death. The earth quaked. There was smoke like a furnace. The trumpet sounded long. People standing before this black this dark, ominous mountain with the wind blowing and fire and smoke rising up, the earth quaking beneath their feet. I imagine quaking more than the ground was the people. The earth was shaking. I have an idea that all the people were... By the way, I have people say, when I get to heaven, I've got questions for God. I'm going I'm to take him to task. Dude, no, we're all going to be... Amen? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Nobody's coming in with pride in front of the king of kings, amen? So they heard the voice of words from this thundering mountain and darkness and fire and smoke and gloom as the holiness of God came down upon the fallen mountain. How much more on fallen man. The voice of God came forth from Sinai with power and content of his words struck fear into the hearts of all of Israel. Guys, I pray when we open up the word of God, we treat it with the same reverence. When we open up the Bible, we have the same reverence for this book as when God was speaking from Mount Sinai, as his voice came forth, because you know this is the living, breathing word of God, amen? This is how God speaks to us. If we don't pick up the book, it's no different than these who fled from the mountain. They begged Moses, let not God speak to us lest we die, Exodus 20, 19. Moses, you talk to him, we don't want to. Verse 20, 
For they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned or shot with an arrow. The manner which was communicated to them brought immediate terror. And the giving of the law brought not only fear and trembling, but separation. The giving of the law wasn't a bridge for sinful man to approach God, but revealed just how far away from the holiness of God that sinful man is. See, the law, when it was given at the mountain, wasn't a bridge to God. It showed how separated we are from God. See, the law, again, it shows us that we're in sinners in need of a Savior. When you witness to somebody, the first thing you should do is get them to admit that they're a sinner. Because until we recognize we're sinners, we'll see no need for a Savior. And how do we know we're all sinners? Go through the law. Shall have no other gods before me. Have you had anything in your life more important than God? You have no graven image. Have anything you've ever owned that you made more important than God? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. You ever use his name as anything other than forever? And you can talk, you can get, and you've got people after three. Yeah, I've done that. Okay, you're a sinner just like me. So, so sin separates us from God. The law is a taskmaster, leads us to the cross. It re- makes us recognize we've been separated. The word sin, as we know, it's an archery term. It's the difference between perfection and where the arrow lands. We've all fallen short. And because we've fallen short, we need a bridge between us and holy God. We can't get there by being good because we're, we're sinners. So while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know what the bridge is? The cross of Calvary laid across that gorge of sin, and now we can enter into his presence. And there's no other way, there's no other hope, not enough good works, no other religion, no other faith. It's through our risen and living Savior, Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? Amen. And only through him can we enter in. And so this is showing them their need. So they want to run back to the thing that shows them their need. Let's go back to the law that we can't keep. And let's try better to keep it. And be more discouraged when we don't, knowing that we have no way around it because the blood and bulls and goats won't do it. Jesus is the answer. So that's the exhortation here as they're being drawn back. The law reveals sin. The law is holy. You're not. Amen? Amen? Now, he calls us to be holy, to live holy lives, but that's impossible apart from the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. It revealed the holiness of God, but it did not invite intimacy with God. To approach God on the basis of the law would only produce a painful death. You stood before God based on the law, we're all guilty. And we're guilty more times than we can count. Millions of times. Millions of times. We come before a judge with millions of crimes, we're guilty. We're deserving of the harshest sentence. You know what the good news is? As we're standing there before the judge, the judge is Jesus. He takes off the robe, he comes down, and he pays the price for us. Amen? What a gracious God. And a wonderful God we serve, verse 21. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I'm exceedingly afraid and trembling. But you've come to Mount Zion in the city of the living God in the heavenly Jerusalem to a numerable company of angels. So he, go, he moves from Mount Sinai to Mount Zion. He says, yeah, I was scared out to death going up Mount Sinai because Mount Sinai is where the law was delivered. But here's the good news. You've come to Mount Zion. See, we're not at Sinai anymore now we're in the place where Jesus died on the cross. Now we're, we, we no longer are just looking at the law, trying to understand how to apply it to our lives. We're recognizing that the law shows us we're sinners, and now Jesus has died in our place, and we've been redeemed, and we've been forgiven. And guys, that's where our focus needs to be, on the grace of God, not the laws of man. Amen? We need to keep our focus on the grace of God, revealing the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man Again, there's no bridge between the two. 
but you've come to Mount Zion. We do not approach God on the basis of the law at Mount Sinai, but we have come to the base, on the basis of grace. See, we can have intimate fellowship with God because of his grace, because he's good, because he paid the price, because he's redeemed us, because he's forgiven us. Notice what it says there. There's an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly and to the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. There's a myriad of angels, Old and Testament saints, pictures that we see where God has redeemed people. These persecuted believers were losing friends on account of their faith, and God had something so much greater in store as they would have heavenly fellowship with the angels and the Old Testament saints and prophets and New Testament believers. Again, that's what it was like for me yesterday. It was so amazing how many times this happened, where I would, where I would make connection with somebody's face that I didn't expect to be there, that I haven't seen in years, and we literally would both light up. And in some cases, tears would fill our eyes, and we would embrace each other, because we haven't seen each other. There was a couple that I did their wedding 21 years ago, and she saw me in the hall, and she just started crying, and, and she said, my husband's going to be so excited to see you, and we ran in, and we're just hugging each other. That's what heaven's going to be like, Amen. We're going to see those that have gone before us. See, he's saying, look, you're going to lose some friends now if you stand for God, but guess what? You're going to gain so many more. Amen? We're going to get to heaven one day, and by the way, blood is thicker than water, but the Holy Spirit's thicker than blood. I must have said that 10 times yesterday, because I'm with people, and they're like, well, Pastor Dave, your family. I said, no, your family. Yeah, because we have Jesus in common. We got the same dad. Amen? We've been adopted in the same family. You know why I hug everybody? By the way, if you come more than once, you're getting a hug. Amen? Why? This is a family reunion every time we meet. And it's a, it's a joyous thing. So yeah, we may lose something that the world has to offer that's temporary, but we're going to gain so much more by surrendering our life to the Lord. Amen? And he's encouraging them. Yeah, you might lose. And we want to pray for those people. And we want to love them. We, you know, we can still pray for restoration. But, but don't worry. What God's going to give you is better. What God's going to give you is more. Just men made perfect not by their keeping of the law, but through the grace of God. It says there at the end of that verse, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. Isn't that amazing that the Lord sees us as perfect? And we're so far from it. Because again, he sees us through the shed blood of his son. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. We're going to finish here on this verse. But Who's the mediator of the new covenant? The one who makes heaven possible. The one who makes heaven precious. Who's the one that mediates between us and heaven? Who is it? It's Jesus. It's not Abel. What did Abel do? Did Abel kill his brother? Cain killed Abel. Come on, guys. It's the first chapter of the book. Read it. Not the first chapter, it's like the third or fourth chapter, but it's in the beginning of the book. <laughs> but here's the point. The blood of Abel speaks of vengeance. Abel was, was murdered, and consequences came to Cain. Because Abel brought a perfect the right sacrifice, and Cain brought a sacrifice that wasn't accepted by God. So Cain got jealous and killed his brother. And you think, that's why I hate the word dysfunctional family. They're all sinful, get over it. Amen? I come from a dysfunctional family. You all do. We all do. Got sinners in our house. Amen? So get over it. But here's, here's the whole point, though. It says the blood of Abel spoke of vengeance coming from God upon Cain and upon you know, everything, the, the descendants afterward. We see the tribes of Cain and the, and, and the judgment of God. 
So judgment comes through that blood, but through the shed blood of Jesus Christ comes grace. See, vengeance comes through Abel's blood, but grace comes through Jesus' blood. Amen? So it's the blood of Jesus that we cling to, not the blood of Abel. See, the blood of Abel first recorded sacrifice from man to God. The first animal sacrifice, the temporary covering of sin, other than when he made skins to cover Adam and Eve. And the blood of Jesus gave us the new covenant, and it washed away our sin, and it gave gave us permanent forgiveness. Let me contrast this as we close. Let me contrast Sinai with Zion. So Sinai is the the place where the law was given, and praise God for it. The presence of God was there. And Mount Sinai is the place where Jesus died. Let me read this and we'll close. Mount Sinai was marked with fear and terror. Mount Zion was a place of love and forgiveness. Mount Sinai is in the desert. Mount Zion is the city of the living God. Mount Sinai spoke of earthly things. Mount Zion speaks of heavenly things. At Mount Sinai, only Moses was allowed to draw near to God. At Mount Zion, an innumerable company and a great assembly gathers together and is invited to draw near. At Mount Sinai was characterized by guilty men in fear. Mount Sinai features just men made perfect. At Mount Sinai, Moses was the mediator. At Mount Zion, Jesus is the mediator. Mount Zion, Mount Sinai brings an old covenant, which was ratified by the blood of animals. Mount Zion brings a new covenant, which is ratified by the blood of God's precious son. Mount Sinai was all about exclusion, keeping people away from the mountain. Mount Zion is all about invitation, drawing all people unto the Lord. Mount Zion is about the law. Is about the law or Mount, Mount Sinai is about the law. And Mount Zion is about grace. Guys, let's not run back to Sinai in a sense, right? Let's not run back to the law and let people know just how holy we are because we keep all kinds of stuff. And by the way, the legalist always thinks he's more holy than everybody else. And the Bible says the legalist is the weaker brother. Because the legalist is the one who has a personal conviction that he makes a requirement for your salvation. And he's sure to let you know at every chance he gets. And the person who's walking in grace is just thankful for, God, for what the Lord has done. He gives God all the praise, the glory, and the honor. And by the way, I'm too busy focusing on my own holiness to worry about yours. Can I get an amen to that? And I walk around. Again, if you get outside the law, we love you enough. We'll Christians stab each other in the front. Amen? <laughs> now in the back, come on up and, hey, bro, love you, bro, but what's up? Amen? <laughs> but do it in private, one-on-one, Matthew 18. Amen? So we'll, we'll finish the chapter next week, but Lord willing, it's time to take a stand to walk in spirit-filled holiness or flesh-driven bitterness. That may we not be bitter. We have nothing to be bitter about. We're new creations in Christ. We're going to heaven. Get back in the race. Don't give up. Pursue peace with all people. Walk in holiness. Be careful not to fall for temptation to abandon the gospel of grace. Remember that bitterness pollutes and corrupts and brokenness bears fruit. And then finally, the law of Mount Sinai or the grace of Mount Zion. The law reveals sin. It's not a source of salvation. We cannot approach God on the basis of the law, but we can come on the basis of grace. And Mount Zion is where Jesus died on the cross. Amen? Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace, your infinite mercy. I thank you for everyone's patience in a, on a very warm Southern California morning. But Lord, what a privilege it is to gather together in your name to worship you. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, I pray we would leave here exhorted, encouraged, even rebuked if necessary. Lord, if we're bitter, help us get better. Lord, if we're caught up in trying to be good enough to earn salvation. May we recognize the gospel of grace 
At the same time, Lord, help us to live holy and set-apart lives, not holy so we can earn salvation, but holy because we've been called by you and filled by your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for everyone who's here this morning, those watching on live stream, those who will hear later on Vimeo or YouTube. Lord, I pray you administer to every family that is here. I pray, Lord, you'd help those of us who are going through difficult times right now not to run from you, but to run to you. Be glorified, we pray. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said...